0: Welcome to the All About Alts Podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, NewView Trust's President, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Hey everybody, welcome back to the All About Alt's podcast. I am Jason DeBono, your host, and I am joined with an exciting guest today, Tim Mai. He's here from the Hero Capital Summit but runs a quite a few different things under the Hero brand which we're going to spend some time talking about. So, Tim, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Oh, uh, it's going to be fun today and Tim is one of the original OGs, I think, is the way that it's coded today uh, by the <laughs> youth, but He is an original in the self-directed IRA space we were chatting about, going all the way back to hosting events 20-plus years ago for another IRA firm. And so, yeah, you've got quite a history with IRAs. Tim, not often we can find someone with that much background.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely been a fun journey. I've been in real estate for 21 years now. I can't believe it. (laughs) When I first started, Quincy Long was just before the IRA stuff. He was my title company, a real estate attorney. And that's how uh, yeah, Quincy and I met years ago.
0: Yeah, it's a small, small world. And you know, it's amazing because your your journey over the last twenty one years has has really given you quite a scope. And kind of being here personally for eighteen years in the IRA space, it's kind of interesting to see how both of these worlds have continued to evolve, yet they continue to come back and forth and intersect quite a bit. And so we'll talk about that and maybe dive right in. You're a Houston guy, went to University of Houston. And as a UCF guy, excited to see us both join the Big 12 this year. So that's exciting. But you got into real estate 21 years ago doing single family. I think like a lot of people enter the market, right? It starts with one property and then one becomes two and two becomes four. So tell us a little bit about that. So take us a little bit down memory lane.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. A little bit about my background. If you ever heard of the term Vietnamese boat people, I'm one of those. What it means is that it's a group of people that escaped out of Vietnam on a boat, made it to a refugee camp, and worked our way here to the U.S. So when I was 11 years old, my brother was 18, the two of us, because back then when a boy turns 18, it's an automatic draft into the communist government military, And so when my brother turned 18, my parents wanted him to be able to try to escape out of the country, and he didn't want to go by himself. So he asked if I wanted to come along. I was like, sure, I'll come along. We tried to escape several times, but we didn't make it out. So I thought I would just be back home anyway. So my brother and I left. He was 18. I was 11 years old. We spent a year in the refugee camp. We made it here to Houston in 87. 1987. You know, grew up in the hood. <laughs> it was like two boys on the street. We had the dream teenage life, no parental control. We could do whatever the heck we wanted to do. But we did a lot of stupid stuff. Fortunately, I was able to get out of that environment. And yeah, was able to finish school. And during college, I got recruited by an IT company up in Dallas. And so I moved to Dallas to work for them For a couple of years, and then that was during the dot com boom, and then the dot com bust came along, and we got laid off. And so I was forced to figure out what's next. I went to the bookstore, and my very first book I read was Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that introduced me to real estate. So I moved back to Houston, got started in real estate investing, and like I share, Quincy was one of the first people I met in the industry. I started out doing fix and flips, So my very first deal, Quincy was the one that closed the deal. I still have a copy of the check from when I sold the deal too. And it came from his old title company. So I did that and then did between flips and buy and hold. I think it was about a year later, I got a big office that has a big room where we can do events and stuff. And so right around that time, Quincy bought trust And so he's like, hey, Tim, can I use your event to do uh, my monthly client mixers? So for the first year or so of his interest, it was all done at my office. And I've gotten to, number one, get my own IRA, Roth IRA account, and also work with a lot of IRA, Roth IRA account holders throughout the years. We've done all kinds of deals through through our IRAs.
0: Well, you know, it's always exciting to hear kind of that perseverance, right? I mean, 11 years old and really escaping out of a very difficult place, spending a year in a refugee camp, coming with without any really parental guidance, which is not even the guidance side of it. It's the support and all that comes with that as well. And being able to get through college and here we are 20 plus years later, what an amazing story. So you're in single family, right? You're You're buying and selling. You've seen ups, you've seen downs, right? You yep. went through the the Great Recession and managed through that process. So let's start there, right? Because I think it's something that for a lot of people, there's a lot of investors that say, oh, I've been doing this 10 years and 12 years and six years and not to take anything away from them. But I remember I started in this business in 05 and '05 was different than '07 and 09 and, and 2011. Not many people have seen a really big fall. And we're starting to yep. see, and I won't suggest it, it is a big fall or is not a big fall. I think that story is continuing to be written, but we're in a cycle, right? Real estate and, and all asset classes are in different phases, but there's a cycle for sure rising interest rates, demand, all of these things are playing into it. But you've been through some of that, right? How did you kind of navigate that? You know, in 2005, you could put a for sale sign in front of anything and get more. And then in yeah. 2009, you couldn't give away your property literally. Having been through that, what lessons did you learn? What did you learn the hard way? You know, where was a little bit of luck on your side?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd lost a ton of money in that market crash for sure. I was really big into fix and flip at that time. So when the market turned in 08, I had 30 properties, 30 houses in different stages of construction or for sale. Yeah, as you know, right overnight, um, we couldn't find any buyers for them. I did what I can to convert some of them in rentals, but some of them, they were not meant to be rentals, (laughs) the kind of repairs we did for them and the type of properties they are. But the lesson I've learned from that, one of the big ones is at that time, I didn't know where to turn or who to turn to. And so I just put my head in and try to figure it out all by myself. And I make a lot of mistakes. It's just trying to figuring it out. Now I know better now to seek for mastermind groups and seek for people like who've been there done that and know how to navigate that market. But I didn't know that back then. And with all that fix and flips, I use a lot of private lenders money during that time as well. Luckily, none of my private lenders ever lost money. I've lost a ton of money and I have to put up money to pay them (laughs) to secure their position, but they've never had to lose money with me. Knowing what I know now, like I would have came to them and negotiate a payment structure that would allow me to finish off these, pro- you know, some of these properties off and maybe hold off the monthly payment so I can fix it, rent it out, get that cash flow and pay them. And just, so, yeah, so I I was just I always knew to make My private lenders, because I know these people, I mean, that's their time and account money, right? Like that's the lifetime savings there. And so I know that I needed to take care of that money, but I put so much focus there, I didn't have the money I need to finish fixing the property. That just put me in a real crunch. I have to do a bunch of wholesaling to earn the money, to pay, you know, my rehabs and I learned to navigate through that, but I probably lost a good $3 million through that whole process. (laughs) So yeah, it's definitely, it's a painful journey, but I've learned a ton. You know, now like I'm so ready for this market. So in that market, I was so busy fixing what was there. You know, I didn't even think to, hey, I need to buy and hold all of these properties while the price is cheap. I would be much better off now if I had done more of that, but I didn't. Other than wholesaling just to cover the cash flow, I wasn't even in the buying mode to hold at that time. And yeah, so those are some of the lessons that I learned.
0: There's a couple of things I just want to highlight for our listeners, you know, and kind of having been through that process as well. And, you know, I was just out of college in 05. And so I really wasn't heavy into real estate at the time. And so it was created. So for me, I wasn't looking in at the market in seven, eight, nine on how to fix it. I was looking at opportunity, right? And so I want to highlight lesson one is even if you find yourself with assets that lose value, number one, don't be scared or despondent losing money is part of investing. And if you only have winners, you're not aggressive enough, right? You're going to have some deals that go south. And if you're concerned about the market going and you sit on the sideline too long, right, you're going to miss a lot of upside, even though you may catch a little of the downside. So in that lesson one is always look for opportunity no matter where you sit in the spectrum. And then on top of that is don't be scared, be smart, be deliberate. But that's certainly opportunity is always knocking in every single cycle up or down. The second thing that I think is really, really important, and, and I I really appreciate the way you said it, it says a lot about you and your character, but if you're going to go out and borrow money, right? And we know that in the crash, people were giving their keys back to banks. And when you're in the real estate investment world, you're typically not borrowing money from Bank of America it's from your neighbors, it's from friends and family. And so making sure that before you take that money in, make sure you accept to Tim's point, it was their retirement money. He had to make them whole. Again, it says a lot about you and your character, but if you're going to borrow money from people in a one-to-one relationship, then really be smart, be deliberate and have a plan because the last thing that you want to do is have to call someone you've known a long time and tell them you lost all their money and you got no way to make them whole. So good for you for navigating through that. It was a painful experience for many. And who knows what this next cycle brings? It may be painful. It may not be painful. It may be imminently painful depending on where you sit. Um, But in every cycle, new opportunities are created and we'll certainly see that. Let's talk a little bit about your continued transition. So you're fixing and flipping 30, 40 homes at a time. You've got this machine, this monster, the market slows you down. And then it creates this new opportunity, which is you know where you're going, wait a minute, this cost me 300 grand two years ago. And now I can buy it and rehab it and sell it for 150 grand. But yet we didn't view it that way. It almost seemed like something was wrong. The, the houses were never going to go back up. This was the new normal. How'd you navigate through the other side of this? which is 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, when did you kind of start to realize, hey, wait a minute? Yeah, sure. I can cry about the millions of dollars I lost in 2008, nine and 10. But when did you kind of turn and say, all right, enough looking out the rearview mirror, let's look out the windshield and let's start taking advantage of this new opportunity.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it took me a few years to kind of dig myself out of the whole thing. But what it did for me was it had me run a strong wholesaling operation to have that cash flow. When the market started to turn again in 2011, especially here in Houston, yeah, I just started to ramp up the volume even more and start to buy more and then held some as well. But yeah, I would say... 8, 9, 10, and some of 11, even, it was all like dealing with the issues I had in 2008. <laughs> yeah, 2012 was when I was able to take a breather and really focus in and ramp that up even more. And then even got into other types of properties, especially in land as well, because now people are starting to buy and fix, but builders also came back. So I did uh, land deals and flip land deals to builders also.
0: And then, you know, you continued that journey and then you started getting in on the private lending side, but then you took the next transition, right, which is into the commercial side of the world, multifamily and you got on the other end of that which is on the fund sponsorship side, capital raising. What caused you to want to make that leap and then ultimately how did you make that leap?
1: Yeah, so on the private lending part of it, so what happened was here I've been working with private lenders for a while. When I was able to recover the whole 2012 market on, I had a lot of people that came to me and says, hey, Tim, I want to learn how to do what you do with the fix and flip stuff. So I was teaching it and I was private lending to them. And then, you know, it got to where I was like, okay, I don't have enough money to lend to them. So I, you know, some of my private lenders that was lending to me, I was like, hey, here are some of the people I've already vetted you want to lend to them. So I start also doing brokering of private money as well. It wasn't until last year that I got into this commercial real estate space. And it's an interesting journey how that came about. But I met a guy who's now a a good friend of mine, Javier Hinojo. We were talking and he said, Tim, these days, each deal that I do add a million dollars to my net worth. I was like, what? My fix and flip doesn't make anywhere that that amount for deal, right? So that got my ear open to this whole multifamily commercial space. And that's what he was doing is he was doing multifamily syndications. And then at that time, my son was turning 16. His daughter was turning 16. One of my mentors that I started with when I first started real estate, Robert Allen, I met him. I came up with the idea of, hey, How about the three of us come together and create a program called the Teen Millionaire Challenge, where we teach young people, teens, ages 16 to 19 years old, real estate investing, entrepreneurship. And the goal is that they amass at least a million dollars in net worth by the time they turn 20. So yeah, so the three of us started that. And then uh, Javier was the one that was the main instructor to teach them syndications And through that process, I get to watch these young people. like So in that program, it was a year-long program. That group of teens, there was 19 of them, they must have made offers on, they underwritten and made offers on over $2 billion worth of real estate. Yeah. And so through that process, it made me a believer. It's like, man, if these kids can do it, like I can do it. (laughs) That's how I got started in this syndication space. Because for the longest time, I used to think as much deals as I've done and as much experience I have in the single family home space, I still always had this limiting belief that these apartment deals, these commercial deals, they're just too big, they're too complicated, too many moving parts. I was comfortable with my single family homes and land stuff. That limiting belief stopped me from going over here onto the syndication side through that program, it opened up my eyes and my mind, especially. So yeah, so I got started in the syndication space a little bit over a year ago. And now I'm also, I have a debt fund, we loan money to land flippers. And then I'm launching a multifamily fund that will invest specifically on multifamily.
0: You never seem to amaze me, Tim, with all of the things that you've got cooking. I love the story of the teens and really helping them build wealth. What an amazing thing to be doing. And it does. It just reminds us all that real estate investing, while it's very hard to master, has no barrier to entry. All the reasons you think you can't enter that space really are just made up or artificial if if a sixteen-year-old with truly limited resources, right? Knowledge, money, experience, the only thing they have is probably time and energy that we don't have. If they can do it, why can't anyone else? So what a great way. We're gonna segue over into our quirky questions of the day. We're gonna break this up here for just a minute. And then when we come out of the quirky questions, we're going to dive into kind of this fun side of the world. You host an event, you're an educator, you're a master connector. I want to talk a little bit about that and then maybe dig in a little into the marketplace, what we're seeing today, what inning of the cycle are we in and, and maybe where are we headed from here. So... right tim you ready quirky questions of the day thank you guys for putting in your submissions for questions always one of my favorites i'm going top envelope today if you do have quirky questions make sure you get those submitted to maggie with a y at newviewtrust.com with a u tim you ready yep all right question one if you could design a time travel machine when and where would you go and why
1: Ha! wow i would go back to my beginning of my real estate career and skip the whole single family thing and go straight into commercial. (laughs) I so wish I have done that. I mean, that was 2002. Amazing time to have done that. And so, yes, I would have exponentially built my wealth and not just for me, but I'm doing that now with my kids. But if I had been there, my kids would have grown up in that whole commercial space. They would have been used to looking at big deals and used to the big numbers and all of that good stuff.
0: All right. I like it. Back to the beginning and not getting out of real estate, just going straight for the big deals from the get-go. Yep. I like it. All right. Number two, if you could create a new flavor of pizza, what (sighs) toppings would you choose?
1: New flavor of pizza. Huh. Definitely it has to be a shrimp pizza. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I like shrimp. I don't think they have shrimp pizza right now, right? So that's a new
0: flavor ish, I guess. I think it is. I, I, uh, <laughs> I've seen it a couple of places, but it's a very rare thing to find. So shrimp pizza, Tim. Maybe that's your next idea. <laughs> All right, last one. What is your favorite ice cream flavor?
1: Huh. I'd love to go places where I can taste a bunch of different flavors. I don't, so I get a little bit of everything. I don't. Have attachment to one. However, mango is my favorite fruit, so I love everything mangoes. How? But the ch- the tricky part about mangoes is my wife is allergic to it. So if I eat it, I can't kiss her for that day. I have to brush my teeth. I have to do. I have to like let it sit for the next day. So that's the other part to it. But I guess if I have to pick one flavor, it would be mangoes.
0: All right. Well, so mango has a couple different things. It's it's not just the flavor. It's also an element of risk that it brings. So it's easy to know if you and your wife have had a fight in the morning. That's when you're eating all the mango ice cream. Good to know, Tim. I always love ice cream discussions, one of my favorite things. And I am a no fruit in my ice cream guy. So, you know, I find you're, you're either on one side of the coin or the other. So sounds like you're not only good with fruit, but you're going mango. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, tropical all gym. the way.
0: <laughs> thank you for participating in the quirky questions of the day. And thank you to the listeners that keep submitting those. I always enjoy it. You never know what you're going to get and you never know what you're going to hear. So let's get back to where we left off. We were you know, kind of talking about Tim's journey and how he you know, started in real estate and kind of worked his way up and most recently has made the transition into the commercial side. And Bigger deals, bigger numbers, but significantly bigger opportunity. One of the things that I didn't mention at the beginning when we talked a little bit about Tim is Tim's not just a longtime investor that knows a lot of people, seen a lot of deals, very well connected, but Tim's also the master connector. He's always hosting events, whether it be on over the the last 20 years on the real estate side uh, for individual investors or single family investments. But now you've got the Hero Capital Summit that you host. You've got your second annual coming up here in the middle of September. So at a high level what is that the the capital summit why did you start something like that and what is the goal of putting on an event like that
1: yeah so coming into this space you know there's a lot of different roles i can choose to play whether it's you know being an operator being an asset manager being a capital raiser i looked at okay what would play the best to my strength and my my skill sets and you know, as you mentioned, I'm very well connected because I've been in the industry for so long and I've done a lot of things in this industry. And so coming into this, in this industry, I decided that I want to focus in on the capital raising aspect of the business. What that means is that, you know, I have these funds where we raise money for our funds and then our fund invests into these different deals. And we, you know, because I'm well connected, I know Who's the top players are? I know who the ones that are doing well, who's not. And so I can best direct the money to the good operators that I would invest my own money in. So I wanted to learn as fast as I can about capital raising from the top syndicators and fund managers in our industry. And so I started a community, a Facebook group on capital raising and a weekly virtual meetup on capital raising, where I interview guys that have raised at least $50 million or more. And so this live event is an extension of that whole community of syndicators, fund managers, coming to this in-person event to network, to get to know each other. So that way we can fund each other's deals, invest in each other's deals, know who the good operators are, who are the ones in trouble. So we mastermind on those kind of things. So that way we always have a good... Post in the marketplace, we want our own money to be well invested and our investors' money to be well invested and so yeah, so the event is specifically for the people who are active operators syndicators in the industry, and they're coming to learn about capital raising and connect with other you know other syndicators and capital raisers.
0: Well it's amazing and and events are you know there's so many opportunities to learn. I mean, we live in a world today where there's really no excuse to not learn something new or or know something, but the power of connection in this space is is big, and understanding capital raising is massive. I think a lot of people they love the idea of buying real estate and and maybe they love these big deals, but there's an element of raising the funds right that allow these deals to happen because without it, none of these deals are getting over the finish line, so it's really critical. Let's talk a little bit about the capital raising market. I mean, certainly the market has slowed down naturally. Two years ago, three years ago, there wasn't a lot of options. You didn't want idle money, right? Idle money didn't pay. And so there was a lot of opportunity. We had COVID, right? We had a lot of people that had a lot of extra time on their hands to really focus in on more wealth building. And so we had this kind of big flood in the capital markets, especially on the 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 private real estate side. So we started to see a slowdown now. What are you seeing out in the marketplace from your standpoint? Let's start on the sponsor side. If if you were going to go and find the right deal and raise 20 million bucks today, what would be different for me today and raising that money maybe than a couple of years ago? You know, what are you seeing and and what, what should I or could I expect?
1: Yeah. So it's definitely a lot harder to raise money for now than it was the last couple of years. So what you would expect is to put in a lot more work. (laughs) So if you had to contact 100 people last time, you're going to have to contact at least 500 or maybe even 1,000 people now to raise the same amount of money. And the big part of it is not so much that the opportunities are not there, but it's the media instilling fear in the marketplace that have a lot of investors kind of afraid to do anything right now. So yeah, so we do have to overcome that. And yeah, as an operator, obviously, knowing what's happening in the market and knowing that the opportunity is there, there's no reason to rush into a deal. If a deal is marginal, don't even bother with it, right? There's plenty of good deals that are already starting to come to the, come on the market. It's still the same, just a ton more effort to raise.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that market in terms of raising money, you know, it doesn't look like it'll get easier anytime sooner. You nailed it in terms of the media and but the alternative for a lot of people today is that they've got just sitting in cash pays. Now we could sit here and talk about how that doesn't really pay. You know, you're never going to keep. You're only getting a, a premium on your dollars today, but you're barely keeping up with inflation. So overall, you know, it really doesn't pay to sit in cash. But if you're an investor that's used to making zero on their cash and you're making five percent on a CD, it's hard to justify that. So you know, I think it's something that as a, a market the uncertainty of the real estate market is keeping people from maybe rushing into it. And you couple that with really nothing pushing them into it. I don't think we'll see much of a change there. But I, I love, Tim, that you brought up, you're already starting to see some good deals, right? And as we talked earlier, you know, for someone that's been through this and through the worst of the worst and, and felt that burn really at your own fingertips, your biggest regret is missing opportunity, right? And so, you know, people sitting on the sidelines today, while they may not be trying to fix the the things that have already happened in the past, maybe they're not caught up in anything that's maybe causing them pain. It's that missed opportunity. What are you seeing on the individual side? You know, if I'm an individual investor, I've got, let's just say my retirement money, or I've got some cash, things have quieted down on investments I may normally make myself, or maybe I don't personally feel comfortable buying a deal in today's market So you know, it's a perfect opportunity to go find another deal or to go invest into a fund or something where I'm leveraging someone else's experience. What guidance or advice would you have for someone like me that's got, let's just say, a hundred grand, and I'm going? Where do I put it? Right? How do I evaluate due diligence? What's that look like? And and you know, yeah, what do you suggest?
1: Yeah, definitely. In the last few years, I mean, you can be a dummy and make money in real estate. There wasn't the market drove everything, and so. But in today's market, the strength of the operator is super, super important, right? So critical. They're the CEO and the COO to get that investment to perform. And so, so ideally, you find someone like myself that been through the last market crash, know how to navigate through that. But even if they haven't been through the last market crash, making sure that they invested in, you know, at least a few years, I say at least three years, and you have been through because right now, you have insurance costs has rise up significantly, you have property taxes rise up significantly. So like an operator that have deals went full cycle, they've been through some of these changes in the marketplace, so they know how to navigate through that, and that they have experience in managing a similar asset. So you know, when it comes to like, and I'm, I'm just going to speak from my personal experience of what I look for my own investment. When it comes to my passive investing, when it comes to my active, I'm a risk taker. I'm willing to take risks. When it comes to passive investing, I want as closely a sure thing as possible. <laughs> I don't want to take chances on new guys coming into the marketplace. I want guys that already been there, that already have experience managing those assets. So yeah, so I look for proven operators to partner up with, like even with our funds, right? So we, as fund managers, we raise money for our fund and then we invest that with top operators. So all the people that we invest in, they all all have over $100 million asset management. They all all have deals that gone full cycle. They've been through the market cycles, so they know how to navigate through that. So that's what I recommend if you're looking at passive investments, is that you look at those type of operators that have the experience to take that asset through successfully. That's the number one thing. Look at that first before you look at the deal, before you look at the returns. Because you know a new guy might come in and offer you a 40% return, but if he doesn't perform... You might even lose your money. You might have a negative 40% or negative 100% of your money, right? You know, versus a proven operator. Maybe he's only offering 15%, 17%, but they're proven, right? So it's a much uh, stronger investment than a newer person promising more.
0: Well, you know, it reminds me of my two favorite Warren Buffett quotes. Right? One is "return of principle" is always better than "return on principle." And yep. I can't tell you how many times, looking at a deal, it's the ultimate risk mitigator because once you realize that, yeah, the forty percent return sounds great, but when you step back and go, "How likely if will this go bad, or is it likely it can?" You realize, yeah, the higher the return, the more likely. The negative return is. And so I, I love that one. And then the second one is you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. Yep. And we've been in, in a market and you, know, you pointed it out perfectly so is that everybody's made money in real estate when times are great. We just kind of assume that it's like a light switch, right? You either make money or you don't in real estate. And the reality is people make money in real estate all the time in every cycle. But what you have is you have a lot of people that that only made money without really understanding the fundamental investment philosophy. And those are the ones that, when you look at their track record, probably aren't going to have enough on paper to justify. And in today's market, I think your advice is so prudent, Tim. It's like, hey, let's not penalize someone for being new in the market. Everybody has to get their start somewhere. But today's not the day for me to be yep. investing in someone's first deal. Or if it is then I know that it's a riskier investment, but I got to at least know that. So I really subscribe to that same philosophy. I think there's deals to be had. I think if you're not looking at deals today, you're missing opportunity, but it's got to be the right deal.
1: Yeah. And one additional thing I want to add. So for myself personally, I actually do background checks on people I invest with. If I have their permission, great. If not, I do background checks on them anyways, <laughs> you know, because these days, you know, as long as you have a name, it's easier to do background checks. But yeah, recently I was looking at an investment opportunity and after I do the background check, I was like, uh, oh, not as clean as I, not bad, but not as clean as I, I want it to be. So, so I pass up on it. So yeah, you know, that's one that not a lot of people, especially LPs, right? passive investors, a lot of LPs do not do that background checks. For us, for our fund, we do background checks on all of the operators that we invest in. That's just part of our procedures because yeah, you never know what comes up.
0: Well, due diligence is critical. And when you're going to trust your money in the hands of somebody else, and you're going to relinquish that control, you reserve the right to have as many points of confidence as you need to move forward. So I appreciate you kind of pointing that out because it's something that You know, a lot of a lot of LP investors don't ask nearly enough questions. They just don't. And what's the right amount of questions? I don't know, right? But I know it's not one or two. It's something that, uh, yeah, I think we'd collectively encourage anyone that's considering any investment. Do your due diligence, ask. You know, I'm reminded of a time many years ago we had someone that called in and our CEO actually was talking to her and she had said, you know, this investment and I want to put all my money in it, you know. And We're not advisors. We don't, we're a self directed custodian. You know, he just had asked her, Hey, when you say all your money, she just knew so little. Like, I don't really know this. I don't really know that. And he just, you know, said, Hey, listen, we're here, happy to help. But one thing we always encourage is that you go and do some due diligence. It's really important. You know, we're not going to do that for you, right? That's not our role. And if anyone is suggesting that we're doing the due diligence, it's probably a big red flag, right? You've got to feel comfortable. It's your money. And if you lose it, you're the one that took that risk. And sure enough, she came back and said, Hey, I did some due diligence and thank you because I really realized that it's not a deal I should have been in or want to do. And sure enough, it wasn't some months later that they were on the front page of the newspaper for defrauding people out of their Mm. money. And so, you know, we're not here to recommend, endorse, or approve investments, no matter what. And I think sometimes people think that, Hey, if New View holds this investment, it's got to be good because if Schwab holds it it's good, right? And so I think it's critical. Due diligence is probably the most underused tool and we live in a world today where due diligence is at our fingertips. I mean, heck, how much research can you do on a person in 30 seconds on your phone? I could probably tell you where you went to school, where you grew up, if you've ever been in trouble, do you have kids or no kids, how many places have you moved, have you ever written a review? You know, it's all there. We can't underscore that enough. where do you think let's kind of you know wrap things up tim and and thanks again for being here and, and sharing your wisdom and background with us. but let's maybe wrap up with a little bit of a philosophical question looking out. Where do you see us? What inning do you see us in in this cycle of the real estate market? Is there more runway ahead of us? Is there more turbulence ahead of us? Obviously, we're asking that with a clear disclaimer that nobody has a crystal ball That's exactly. The- Tim's opinion, but where where do you see us? Where are we?
1: Yeah, I was just about to say that because, you know, I do interviews as well. You know, some of the smartest guys in the industry and nobody really knows. And, you know, some are bullish, some are not as bullish. But me personally, you know, depending on, I think it's just some asset classes that are being affected. But like, I don't see single family homes going to be affected much at all. I think there's still a huge demand. I still see, because I also do land development stuff side. So I still see the major builders, D.R. Horn, Pulte, Lenar, like they're still aggressively building. So, yeah, so I don't see that market being affected much. You know, and then on the commercial side, multifamily, I I can totally see turbulence there, you know, industrial warehouses. I don't see a turbulence there. I think that's going to be a really good market. Same thing with self storage. I think that's going to be a, a really good market. So I think it's, you know, and even office, right? One of the things I learned about offices recently that just blew my mind away, because of COVID, a lot of businesses are now, you know, working from home. So the the, the offices have gone, that asset type has gone down quite a bit. However, it's a function of supply and demand. And so, Some of the more advanced syndicators, developers are now buying offices and converting them into multifamily. And so what that does is that they are taking away the supply of offices. So when the supply is going away, the office occupancy is going to go back up. Now that's happening more in like downtowns of major cities, outskirts probably not happening yet. But yeah, so things are definitely being converted and so the smart players, the smart operators, will know how to take advantage of these opportunities. I mean, it's not a straight answer; it's not the whole market going to go to nothing, but it's just certain asset types. You know?
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I think that's a really good assessment. If you had a crystal ball, we'd probably be too scared to actually look in it. You know, we wouldn't quite want to know. But it comes back to you know, be eyes wide open right now. There's likely still some turbulence in certain markets. We're seeing a lot of geographics play into it. You know, oh, yeah. you're in Florida, you're you're in Houston, Texas, and, yep. you know, we're seeing just the influx of people alone is unbelievable. And then we got a lot of things that have to settle themselves out. I mean, you've got a big issue with insurance. We do here in Florida. I know in Texas, you guys are battling it, but there's still some things that are going to have to be worked out because they're all part of the larger equation that is either single family or multifamily or commercial. So more and more to come. But Tim, love, love having you on the show. We're going to get to learn before you burn, before we let you off the hook completely. We'll throw your information for the Capital Raising Summit, the Hero Event. September 14th through the 16th. We'll put that into the show notes. So if you're considering raising capital or, or learning a little bit more, Tim's events are always a great resource. And Tim himself is a master connector. I'm sure if you emailed him and said you were you heard him on the show and wanted to get to the conference, he'd take some time to say hi and, and maybe make some introductions while you're there. So take advantage of that opportunity and education. So Tim, as we wrap up here we end every show with our learn before you burn. I think we talked a little bit about some of your experience already and and some of the things you learned, but what is the lesson and experience that you got in your lifetime that really hurt, but you're glad you got it. And so how can we help someone maybe get the lesson from that without having to go through the experience that you went through to get it? So what's your learn before you burn, Tim?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned earlier about the market crash and I didn't seek out for help. I was trying to figure it out myself. That's like the worst mistake ever. If you're going through something, chances are, and it doesn't matter if it's business, investing, if it's relationship, marriage. My wife and I have been together now. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. (laughs) No matter what challenges that you have, chances are Someone has been there, done that, have gone through that. And if you just reach out to them in this market, I mean, in, in today's world, like even just a Facebook post to find out who has been there, if someone will raise their hand and says, yeah, and they're willing to talk you through it. And so, yes, reach out for help. Please do. If you just do that, it will help you navigate through any challenges that you might have so much easier. Don't try to do it yourself. There's no reason that you need to do that.
0: Tim, that is amazing. Learn before you burn guidance. Uh, wave the white towel. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. So leverage people's knowledge and experience. And I love how you put it. Someone's been there, done that. No need to reinvent the wheel. Let's, let's get out of it as quickly as possible. So Tim, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for taking the time to share your wisdom and experience with us. And yeah, looking forward to seeing you. We'll be out at the summit. Our team will be there. So looking forward to seeing you guys here uh, in September.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me. And yes, yeah, so looking forward to uh, new view being at our events and sharing your service, your amazing service to, uh, to our audience as well. So thank you.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks, Tim. And as a reminder to everyone else, if you have not clicked the like, share or subscribe button, please do so. Also, if you haven't given us a review yet, we certainly hope that we're worthy of your five stars. But help us help the listeners and community that's looking for content to at least CS is a viable option, and we'll continue to be bringing people on that can help us understand how to invest wiser, more efficiently, and as always, how to keep more of what you earn by good tax strategies. So thanks, everybody. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407 407- to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content and we'll see you next week.